17 minutes it is before 9pm. We're under the microscope this evening and uh, I must say a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating discussion uh, that uh, we're going to have now. And uh, it's, uh, we're going to be talking about black conservatism uh, or black conservatives and what that means uh, in political terms, but also more importantly um, in the contemporary context, what it means for us here in South Africa uh, and uh, our particular democratic project and some of the uh, objective conditions that it faces. And uh, Dr. Spiwa Dube, um, over the last uh, while, uh, wrote a very fascinating and incisive article um, uh, that uh, really suggests that despite the very rich traditions among the black community of left-wing politics, progressive politics, maybe center-right, you know, what some people might say, social democratic-type politics, despite the rich traditions, of that uh, in uh, many, I guess, self-professed black movements uh, and even those who see themselves as non-racial. South Africa certainly hasn't been shielded at all um, in multiple eras from uh, the uh, currents of conservatism, especially in the black community. And of course, in the the more recent moment, uh, one of the things Dr. Dube speaks about is uh, the uh, new wave of black conservatism that is uh, gripping parts of the black diaspora in the US, UK, Canada, um, and undoubtedly, of course, uh, you know, even large segments uh, of uh, the black community, African, Indian and colored uh, communities here in South Africa. And I'm joined by Dr. Spiwa Dube, uh, who's a senior lecturer and former head of political studies at Wits University, uh, to, to say a bit more about this uh, co- notion of black conservatives and, of course, what it means, I guess, not only just in electoral politics, but, of course, in uh, the uh, real politic of our society. Dr. Tube, good evening and welcome. Yes, good evening, Saya. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. Thank you so much uh, for taking time out to speak to us. When I read this on the weekend, I mean, I, I think I read it twice. Uh, because <laughs> No, no I, mean, I, I must explain why I say that. Because I think <laughs> certainly for many of us who have sort of learned politics in the post-apartheid era, yeah. there's always this conflation of this notion of black and I don't mean black now in the political sense, uh, as the black consciousness defines it, but, you know, as a matter of fact, skin color and how, you know, uh, uh, people are treated on the basis of that. And to essentialize and maybe overlay a type of progressive politics to it. Um, But there was always, I guess, those blind spots where you realize that that actually, actually, you know, there's different parts of, you know, this grouping that is not a homogenous grouping in terms of its uh, own outlook. Um, and, And you sort of, I guess, chart the emergence of black conservatism in South Africa uh, a lot longer than maybe the recent wave of this in the black world more broadly. Let's maybe start off there. Um, when you say conservatives, who are we talking about? What is their vantage point and outlook politically and otherwise? All right. So uh, so thanks. And I think, you know, you kind of made a, an interesting point around the assumptions that I guess part of what the article is trying to do is to really challenge and to get us thinking outside of the box, you know, to kind of go back to, uh, as you were just saying in your last segment, around, um, you know, using our minds a little bit more. So, so, so here, when I'm talking about conservatism, it's really, you know, this kind of political ideology in our children. Mm. So, so, so all of these are really central to a kind of conservative ideology. Yeah. And you also say this idea of self-reliance, um, which we sort of often hear a lot uh, mm-hmm. from conservative politicians, this idea that you can 
change your fortunes or you know the hand that life has dealt you uh, by your bootstraps uh, if i yeah. can use that uh, that term yeah yeah which is funny when you think about how entrepreneurship takes up that language mm. unwittingly without really thinking about what does it actually mean um uh, to be self-sufficient in a context where maybe for most people uh in this case i'm thinking about black uh, african uh, south africans uh you actually don't have the means to be self-sufficient in the system of the economic system within which you're told to be self-sufficient. Mm. Um, and, and, so, and so when, for example, ideas of you know, middle-class identity are being pushed onto black people as the anathema to you know, our panacea to everything, then you kind of sit back and think about, well, but if I don't have the means to actually achieve that bootstrap mentality, how does that play into my own understanding as a black African person uh, working within a racialized capitalist system that's not only based in South Africa, but is now global, right? And this speaks to this kind of broader issue around, at least for me, uh, the intersection of race and capital, but also then in this particular context of conservative ideology and it being taken up by black people, not only in South Africa, but in the US, uh, in the UK. Um, and the interesting thing is that it all comes through this idea that somehow we have lost these values, mm. which, I mean, yes, we agree we have some values, but some of those are not our values. But somehow, because of the global context of colonialism and the attendant, you know, apartheid in sure, our context, sure. uh, but also the kind of continued anti-black uh, discourses that continue to take place, somehow black people are expected to not only be part of the kind of racially capitalized system, but also then to prop it and support it um, in pursuit of this kind of universalized and idealized understanding of values. Right? Now, now, um, now, now yeah. I'm also interested, uh, Dr. Tube, in, I guess, another more contemporary uh, or maybe, you know, contemporary manifestation of this type of value system and outlook to the world. This idea that, you know, when we speak about, a, you know, we spoke about the nationalism of it, right? Mm-hmm. This idea that there is somebody who is a constituent part of the nation and that person is a constituent part insofar as it excludes somebody else from being part of that nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the case of South Africa, one of the things that often, you know, manifests itself in this way is this idea of Afrophobic sentiment. Yeah. So, so it's not really about foreigners because we know with certain types of foreigners. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, you know, white <laughs> foreigners don't get the same attention. Rich moneyed foreigners don't get the same attention. It's always, yeah. uh, you know, black foreigners, poor foreigners, people coming from the third world. Um, now, now that we at least have framed, I guess, some of those issues, let's talk about the organizational and personified forms in which uh, this is presenting itself in South Africa today, but also in the past as well. Yeah, I mean, so I, I guess if you read the article, you know, I kind of go back to our uh, uh, eminent Kajabutelezi and the formation of the Inkata Freedom Party. And and one of the interesting things, and if you get a chance um, at some point, uh, you should read uh, Professor Sharim Hassim's work on Inkata, because it really centers, as I said before, if you remember, that part of what is really central to conservative ideology is the idea of the family and a particular kind of family, this thing called the nuclear family, which is very heteronormative and heteropatriarchal. There's a father, there's a mother, uh, and there are children, and everybody plays according to specific, uh, specifically ordained roles, and these roles are ordained by a religious order, but not any religious order in this context, uh, a kind of particularly Christian religious order. 
So Christianity then becomes central in this uh, particular form of conservatism, which is why I think now in South Africa we're seeing uh, its tentacles reach a little bit more. And I don't talk about this in the article, but in the broader work that I'm doing, to kind of say when we uh, juxtapose what's happening around the issues of family failure and family disintegration and the whole discourses that are being put forward by people like, you know, um, the Family Planning Institute or Focus on the Family, uh, those kinds of organizations, what they're really saying is we need to go back to a Christianly ordained notion of family, which means also a heteropatriarchal notion of family, which means also then a family that is um, um, only regarded as proper and normative insofar as it is constituted by, you know, the four uh, people, father, mother, child, child. Uh, and, so, and so the disintegration of that in this ideology then results in this um, fear somehow that the basis of social morality, the fabric upon which we build and um, uh, uh, foster the future generation is disintegrating. Mm. Right? And nobody is saying that this is not the case. All over the world, we see so-called the nuclear family disintegrating, but it's not as if nothing is coming in its place. Mm. But also, right? I mean, what was the nuclear family to start with? <laughs> because, I mean, you know, if, if you read some theorists, um, you know, I mean, if you read Engels on, you know, the conditions of the working class in England and you yeah. read other sort of, you know, Sylvia Federici uh, and some of her own ideas around the role of the uh, nuclear family, you know, mom, dad, you know, two kids, uh, picket fence and a dog um, as a ideal form for a capitalist arrangement of society. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so, you know, in a, place, in a context like ours, I mean, I, I don't know, certainly in, in the South Africa I grew up in, of how common that nuclear type family is. When we know South African households are multi-generational, they yeah. are potentially, you know, uh, I guess uh, very fluid in so far as who is there biologically and otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so this idea that of a nuclear family, although it might be culturally dominant, I, I certainly, in my observations, don't see it as something very common empirically. Yeah, and, and, and this is the this is the thing. So um so to kind of go back to what I was saying, so people like Utelezi in the eighties was really central, you know, Inkata was really central um uh in, in stealing this kind of particular ideology around a particular form of nuclear family and sold that as a traditional Zulu family. So you can already see that he was not working with quote unquote tradition as some of the people on the ground understood it. So part of the women's brigade, for example, you know, in the same way that uh, the black consciousness movement was using uh, community-based projects to instill notions of, of consciousness, Inkata, using the women's brigade in the 80s, was using uh, its forum to instill this idea of a particular understanding of a family. And obviously this was coming from the apartheid enforced ideology of how to construct black lives according or in line with white normative understandings of, uh, of family and family values, at least the preponderant ones anyway. Mm. So, so you see how, at least in my view, we're kind of seeing how with the rise especially of um, neo-Pentecostal churches mm. uh, on the continent mm. uh, and, and in South Africa, obviously in response, to what is perceived as a crisis, right? I'm not saying that there is no crisis, but how one frames that crisis then makes a difference in terms of what kind of solutions and tools you bring in. So, so part of the solution or the tool 
that is then now being appropriated and drawn from the rise of alt-right and new right elsewhere, especially in America under Trump. We saw this Brazil under Bolsonaro, um, you know, parts of Northern Europe. We're seeing the rise of this idea that somehow we have lost a certain core aspect of who we have been as a people, and we need to reclaim this. And who has been responsible for its uh, decimation? Well, it's the Muslims. It's the immigrants. Mm. Um, it's the atheists. It's all these people that don't fit this ideal. Mm. And so I, so part of what I'm trying to do in, in my work currently is to kind of think about, well, I think the positive things that Pentecostalism and neo-Pentecostalism in particular are doing on the continent, right, in response to a failing, uh, generally kind of so-called failing state um, situation across the continent. They're stepping in in places of um, what, you know, our traditional states are supposed to provide mm. in terms of education, healthcare, etc. But then there's the other flip side, which is informed by this um, idealized understanding of a greater force that we're supposed to answer to. And, and sometimes that comes with this expectation, and in particular context here, of this idea of family and uh, idealized family, one that's universal, supposedly, mm. and then one that's supposed to be the bedrock of so-called human civilization. Now, and I think, yeah. Um, sorry, I, I, I mean, I... The IRR, yeah. you know, or the DA, sure, they, sure. they form part of that ideology in a lot of ways. I, I like how you mention all of these superstructural institutions that are so critical to the furthering of this particular agenda, be it the church, be it the think tank, be it the political party, because sometimes we like to just confine it to the political party mm-hmm. without recognizing that there are many institutions in the superstructure of society that account yeah. for the reproduction of some of these ideas from one generation to the next. I want to maybe, just as we wrap up, bring your attention to a, to a certain tweet I saw during the rounds earlier on today. And, uh, you know, uh, OP will forgive me for this. But uh, he was sort of raising this issue around the Americanization of the African startup and venture capital space mm-hmm. um, and whether or not, you know, this is a thing. Um, and I was arguing that, you know, a lot of this is very similar to, like, the Americanization of these charismatic, you know, neo-Pentecostal-type churches. Um, and and one of his questions was, I guess, what, what are the pros and cons of this uncritical acceptance of particular types of, um, you know, cultural elements, and some of which include a very deep conservatism, in addition, I guess, to the other sort of white masculine archetype of Silicon Valley. Maybe yeah. some of your comments on that just as we wrap up. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I mean, I think certainly, but, you know, one has to be kind of careful because I think part of also what we're seeing in especially kind of African forms of Pentecostalism is actually a reclamation of these traditions as not only coming from America. Mm. Right? Uh, so I think there is there are some, at least I think there's some really interesting critical work that's been done around how are African people themselves actually uh, taking up these ideals mm. and making them their own. And in places right? like Brazil as well, you're right. I mean, yeah, yeah, right. As part of not only saying, uh, you know, we are we are just mimicking, but to say, how do we take what we find useful in all these kind of multiple discourses and make it our own? Mm. But obviously, you know, how far one goes in terms of uh, delimiting that becomes a problem because this is where, at least for me, I see how impactful the notions of, um, especially, uh, you know, Reagan politics. If you remember, apartheid was really, you know, at its peak at that time. Mm, Thatcherism was a destination, but Reagan loved South Africa. Mm. (laughs) So did Margaret Thatcher. Think of Margaret Thatcher, you know. 
these were people that really were foundational to some of the ways in which we think about economic policies and some of the ways we think about foreign aid in particular. And so now when you tie all these notions of foreign aid and uh, networking and all of these as part of a broader global context within which now South Africa is a part, even as much as it might try to localize its own understanding, then you kind of see how we're not just grappling with a local condition, right? We're grappling with a continental one, we're grappling with a global one, mm. right? So, so kind of like sure. the pandemic, um, we don't really have a grasp on where the head or tail is. And yeah. I think for me, this is what concerns me on the left, that sure. we've, we've seized too much to the right. And, and we need to, to really be on, on our, you know, um, kind of conscious level sure. to really think deeply around how do we take back or also yeah. then rethink sure. like part of what the um, equality project yeah. is really about. Dr. Tube? We're going to have to leave it there. And uh, yeah, I mean, that, that last point, they might get you into trouble. To, you know, the con- black conservatives are like a pandemic. So maybe the next time we must, we must make sure that we get you in with some of the uh, key people who hold uh, the positions in many of these institutions uh, that are ostensibly, I guess, uh, on the more conservative side of things. But we're going to have to leave it there. As always, a pleasure catching up with you. And thank you very much for your time. No, thank you. Yeah, folks, that's where we leave it. And Siabulela, uh, big thank you to uh, uh, Jaws Nochola. And uh, of course, if you don't know who that is, that's Itumeleng Sebola and Kumakave.